139. We're continuing our study of systematic theology. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And uh, it's been a blessing to me at the very least. We're using John Frame's systematic theology uh, as a springboard, uh, as an outline, a skeleton from which we're uh, getting into this uh, minutiae of theology. And we have talked about the theme of the Scriptures being the Lordship of God, the Lordship of Christ as well. Uh, we have talked about what that means, what are the Lordship attributes. Then we started to try to speak about God proper, theology proper. We talked about the acts of God, His miracles, His providence, His decrees, uh, things of that nature um, that flow from His Lordship. Uh, and so we learn a lot from the acts of God, and then we started talking about the attributes of God. Anybody remember what an attribute is? What is an attribute of God? Well, it's something that we can say that the Scriptures say is true about God, something the Scriptures predicate about God, like God is holy, God is love, God is all these things. Uh, so the, the descriptions we have from God's revelation about Himself, God is the one that defines Himself. Hence, we have the second commandment, don't make any graven images. Why? Because you and me don't create God. <laughs> We, we, we don't make God. We don't declare what is true about God. We don't limit God. God alone defines Himself, and we worship God as He has declared Himself to be in the Scriptures. So we started by talking about His attributes of uh, His moral attributes, His wrath, His goodness, His, his righteousness, um, uh, things of that nature. So the moral attributes, He's righteous, He's holy, yes, sir. Yes, He's perfect in holiness, perfect in His wrath, perfect in His righteousness, and uh, He is complete in all those things. He lacks nothing morally. So He has, mo and really, we, when we get it further into these, we see how they're all related uh, and how they're all one. He has moral power, so we don't separate his, his moral attributes necessarily from His power attributes. Uh, those power attributes just kind of... Uh, of our ways of talking about the perfection of those things. So we talked about his moral attributes. We talked about his intellectual attributes. He is all-knowing, uh, and that also falls under power as well. Anytime you have those omnis and ems, you're talking about God cannot be limited in any aspect to what he knows. Uh, and we talk, now we're talking about specifically about his power attributes. We talked about the will of God. And then we talked about the eternality of God. God is eternal. God is infinite. God is not limited by time like you and I are. He is the creator of time. And in fact, the way we spoke about it is He is the Lord of time. And then we started last week also introducing another aspect. He's not only the Lord of time, but in this very same manner under the... the, the the heading of his power is he is the Lord of space. Just like he created time, he created space. In the beginning, God created the heavens. 
Amen? <laughs> and as far as that matter, he, he's also the Lord of matter under this same thing because you can't talk about space without talking about matter. In the, Lord, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So time, space, and matter all were creations of God. The totality of this universe, all of its time, all of its space. Which particularly, we're just saying he's the Lord now of space. And we looked at several things here. Uh, but Psalm 139, he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast known my down-sitting down and my uprising. This is talking about his knowledge. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path. Now we're starting to talk about our relation to the Lord spatially. Thou compassest, I mean, he's completely surrounding me. Amen? Uh, that he has compassed me. What's a compass? I mean, a compass is all directions, all around, right? He has compassed me, my path, and my line down, and art acquainted with all my ways. So we notice now his, the connection between his intellectual attributes of knowledge and his power attributes of omnipresence. He is everywhere. I am. <laughs> I can't go where God is not. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. So he's, he's, everywhere. he's behind me and he's before me. Uh, and laid thine hand upon me. There is an intimacy of presence here. Laid his hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go? Where can I even go from thy spirit? Can you tell me a place you can go where God is not? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if you, want to, if you want to mark a word in your Bible, he is the God. I like how Francis Schaeffer back in the 70s wrote that book, the God that is there. He's there. Much the same way we talked about with his eternality, that word same, he, thou art the same. Here he's there. He's the God that is there. And then, of course, Francis Schaeffer followed up with his next book. He is there and he is not silent. <laughs> so he has spoken. Uh, but he is there. He's the God that is there. So he says, Whither shall I, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. We get back to the intimacy here. Your hand leading me. Thy right hand holding me. Amen? Participi I'll just give you the participle form there. Uh, if I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the light. night shines as the day, and the darkness as the light, and both are alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins, and so on. And it talks about his providence over me in creating me. Psalm 139, if you, if you ever decide to, to start memorizing portions of Scripture, is a very good one to commit to memory. Uh, it really grounds us in this omnipresent God.
this all-knowing, omnipresent, benevolent, compassionate, present entity. I am that I am. And we looked at many scriptures, but that's just kind of, kind of uh, biting off. Uh, there are two terms that are important when we're talking about when we introduced last week. The first one, when these are theological terms, the, uh, we're doing theology, right? So, one is immensity. We notice that uh, we're talking about his power. There's no limitation. He's perfect. <laughs> Amen. Um, uh, nothing is impossible. We, that, that M beginning. So, we have immensity and omni. Again, we're describing it in perfection. Omni presence. These are two different terms to describe two different aspects of the God that is there. All right, what do we mean by immensity? Well, by immensity we mean that God, just like it is with time, we said God cannot be limited by time. He's not in the box, if you say. So here's the box. We could call that time. If we call that time... God's not in the box, He's Lord over it. He's above it. He's not limited by it. We can, we, can, we can now call that box space. He is not contained by space. And where do we get this idea? We got well, we, this, uh, this idea, not only from what we just read in Psalm 139, but we consider what um, Solomon said and prayed there in 1 Kings. He says... Um, Will you indeed dwell upon the earth? The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. They cannot, you, we can't make anything that contains God. We can't put God in a box and say, well, this is where God's power resides. This is where His authority, He is not limited by space. He's the Lord over space. He cannot be contained. That is this theological word, immensity. All right? But this same Lord is made known to us where? Everywhere. Well, and we can make it very particular to us. The Lord is here. And where is here? It's in space. That same Lord that is over space has entered into space, and He is everywhere. This is omnipresence. So we're talking about two ideas. Immensity says He cannot be contained. Omnipresence says... He is made known to us in time and now space. He's entered into the pages of history. He was working throughout history. <laughs> uh, he, he was, he, he was uh, manifesting himself, making himself known in time and now in space as well. So these are the two terms. This is the various And just like with eternality and infinite, in, in, in infinity, uh, one, uh, they, 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 these two terms describe the two aspects of the Lord's relationship now to space. He's above space. He is not contained by space. He is Lord over space, but he has revealed, entered into space and made himself known there. And I'm proud. I, I, I'm not proud. <laughs> That's the word I'm wrong. I'm happy <laughs> that my God has made himself known in the only ways that I could ever know him. Why? Because I'm limited by time. 
and I'm limited by space, and that God, what we, that God is there. And just like we said with time, what had to happen in order for him to enter into time is this humbling of himself. He humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven, says the psalmist. Uh, so it is, we say the same things about space. God, who is over space, has entered into space, has limited himself in that, humbled himself, became incarnate and, and, and revealed himself even before the incarnation in real space. So I could know him. So we're talking about uh, just some wonderful aspects of God, just like we were talking about with time. So this has an ethical force. Uh, if he fills all of so he fills all of space, but he cannot be contained by space. So he is uh, the God that is over space, but also the God that is here in space. Or as we would pray, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, he's right there. Amen. He's in the midst. Or lo, I am with you. Always, we got time and space there for us. <laughs> He's here and now. The God that is above the here and now is here and now. And that's, and that's uh, something that, uh, of course, will have its detractors as we get further into that, but this is what's being declared to the Scriptures. Uh, the ethical point... Uh, is this, we are not dealing with a God that is far off. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're not dealing with a God that is far off. We are not just dealing with that God that is over space. But the Lord of space entering into space as Lord. Romans. We usually share this scripture when we're trying to tell people about how they get saved or how they can be saved. But here in Romans, he says, in verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what says it? The word is nigh you, deny, nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. We're not dealing at any point in time with a Lord that is not here. He's the God that is here. Amen? So, this has an ethical component. You and I are always living in the presence of God. That's what the psalmist was singing about. And that's great until you decide that you're just going to do whatever you please. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. That's back, very end. If you find Matthew and just go a little bit further back, you'll be in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. And listen to the words of the Lord as He chastises His people. In verse 11, Malachi 3, 11, 
No, Micah, sorry. Go a little further back. I, no wonder that didn't look right. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Micah 3 and verse 7. Why does this not look right? Oh, 11. <laughs> That's why. All right, read verse 11. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire. So what's going on here? Who are the heads? Who are the priests? These are the leaders. Leaders of Israel. What are they doing? They're not giving honest judgment. They're judging for reward. Not getting kickbacks for their judgments. <laughs> yes, sounds, sounds like modern American judges. Uh, the heads thereof judge for reward. The priests thereof teach for hire. That sounds like our modern uh, preacher class. Uh, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Sounds to me like they're reading about our day, or we're reading about our days. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come to us. See, they're continuing in the sin, and yet declaring that because there's Lord's presence, that that makes it all right. Their prayer, God is present, and He is their people. So, what modern Israel was tackling with this idea of God's presence was this fact that God's presence in and of itself made them holy and did not realize the ethical implications of this. They felt like God was bound by His promised presence among Israel to always take their side. Um, Exodus, uh, for I am the Lord your God, and am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generation, but showing said, uh, mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Amos chapter 3, verse 2, he says, I only have chosen you from all the families of the earth, uh, therefore I will punish you for your sins. There is nothing... And we remember the story in Jeremiah where he was telling them about their sins. He was telling them to repent, to amend their ways, to change. And they kept answering, well, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, He is among us. And therefore, they, they uh, believed that God's presence was promised to them. Stephen quoted from Jeremiah himself where he talked about how they always despised the ways of the Lord. And he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hearts and ears, you do always uh, resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you also. And they had this belief that his presence was confined to them. And therefore, they set it aside and went about to do their own thing, believing that God's presence could never be taken away from them. Where am I going with this? Well, we're talking about His presence, and we're going to talk about aspects of His presence. God is present everywhere, but is He always present in the sense of mercy? 
I want you to put a pin in that, all right? God sometimes is present in judgment. And this unchanging God may find him, we may find ourselves on the other side of his righteousness, his righteous presence. So let's talk about him as a person, the persons of God, biblical personism, personalism. God is covenantly present with his creatures, he's here. In space and in time, he has entered into this, to this pages of history from the very beginning. When did this start? Well, the same as it started with our idea of time. He, was, he entered into space and time when he was ordering the days and creating and judging and evaluating and began to meet with man and, and to judge men and to do all these things. And... When we're thinking about His presence, how do we think about it? We don't think of it as a creature. God is, how many gods are there? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. All right. Can you divide one? What's one divided by one? One. <laughs> one can't be divided. Uh, so so uh, when we think of His presence, we don't have part of His presence right here. How much of his presence do we have? All of it. He's wholly present right here. So, like I said, I don't want to be, um, not trying to be funny, but we're not experiencing part of God. We're not experiencing his finger here and someone else has God's nose over there and, 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 and something like that. He is not divided. He is not in parts. So this, is, this is known as the simplicity, divine simplicity of God. So God in his presence in space is simply presence wholly present at any given time his he is fully present at each part, part or as uh, or, or or as the latin says todos res todos res <laughs> uh, he is he is fully present so he's the lord and when we speak about speak about him being lord how is this possible? How can we talk about an omnipresence God? If you listen to atheist, if you read atheist literature, what you're going to find is those very same ideas that God can't be present everywhere. Because what are they thinking? What are they thinking of God? They think God as just as limited as you and I, just bigger. <laughs> and therefore, if he is in Africa, right now, he's not here in America. Why? Because what's the old, what's the old uh, euphemism? He can't be two places at once. And when we start applying that logic to God, we deny the Scriptures. So he is, he is uh, not limited. This is, this is why we're talking about this in the aspect of his power. He is not limited. You and I... Are limited. Jason Tackett cannot be two places at once, much less three, four, or everywhere. Uh, so I remember uh, listening to some music, uh, and just the album uh, caught my eye where it says, To be everywhere is to be nowhere. <laughs> That's that silly logic, atheistic logic applied to God. To be everywhere, God's nowhere because He's everywhere. 
because uh, he's no place in particular. Uh, so they do not believe in this God of infinite power. They believe space limits him. Now space limits me. I can't be two places at once. I can't be all things to all people. And neither can you. I, I can be here right now, but I, 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 that's it. And by being here right now, I forsook the idea that I can be somewhere else because I'm weak. I'm a creature. That's what I am. I'm a creature. Yes, sir. Amen. That's right. Yeah. And uh, we have to because we're limited in our vision. We're limited. We got to trust God because we're not where we're headed yet. <laughs> and we can't be uh, because, because we're so limited. And, and that's why we have to have this full reliance of God that is already there. Uh, he knows the end from the beginning. He's already in the end. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Uh, and all those things, the one that is and was and ever shall more, evermore shall be. And that is why we must walk by faith. Yes. Uh, so uh, where am I at? So you and I are limited in our, all the aspects that we are limited in time. We're limited by space. Uh, we're not sovereign over space. If I was, I would, I would hurry up and, and uh, step through a magic porthole everywhere I wanted to be and be a... Be a and, but no, if, if, I want, if I need to be somewhere, I need to plan. And even if I plan, there are things that are beyond my, beyond my control. Weather can keep me from getting home today. Uh, earthquakes, I'm not trying to make anybody anxious, but earthquakes could happen and keep me from getting to, getting to the place, to, from point A to point B. Uh, the climate, soil conditions, pollutions, all these things are limited. We are finite, God is not. There is nothing that happens that can thwart God from being um, so we're not he's not limited he is even as he enters into space he enters into space as its lord so he cannot be limited by it so that brings us to the spatial omnipresence of god let's talk specifically we're not talking about immensity the immensity is talking about him being Lord over time. Omnipresence talks about him being in time as Lord. All right, so it goes hand in hand with eternity um, uh, is omnipresence. Uh, with eternity, he is now. <laughs> with omnipresence, he is here. So we talk about the God that is here and now. Uh, and so he is spatially omnipresent. Now, some people will get a little bit uh, more particular about um, language here, and just like they would talk about him being all-temporal, uh, not temporal, uh, but they would do so at the, at the risk of not being able to see how he humbled himself and entered into time. Some people talk about God being all-spatial, outside of space. And therefore, they see a contradiction with God acting in space. Uh, so we've got to be careful about that language. Uh, while it may be accurate to describe his immensity, it's not accurate to describe his omnipresence. Uh, 
Um, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm just getting out there. Um, his presence, what do we mean by omnipresence? We mean that His presence is universal. And if you get anything from Psalm 139, you get that idea. If I, if I send to heaven, He's there already is the idea. If I descend into hell, He's there already. Uh, if I take, the, take wings and fly to the other side of the world, He's even there. So that's this idea that there is a universal presence of God. He is, he is indeed everywhere, and it's not a contradiction. Um, it is how we describe the most powerful, the Almighty, in His relationship to space and time. Uh, let's look at some scriptures. We already looked at Psalm 139. Turn now, then, to uh, Acts 17. So in Psalm 139, what was he saying? David, wherever David chooses to go, God is already there. Uh, the very nature of God makes the Lord inescapable. And you almost feel the angst of that. Uh, so sometimes you and I want to get away from everybody, right? Am I the only one who just wants to get away from everybody? All right, someone say amen. Sometimes you just want to get, but you can't get away from the Lord. All right, his presence is, and that, 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 when we're not living right, when we're not doing right, when we're not thinking right, can cause some anxiety, <laughs> indeed. Um, and sometimes, I mean, just, it is, and that's what we read there in David. Where can I go? And, of course, we see how he rationalizes that, not just rationalizes, where he sees um, the greatness of God in this. We can either take it with anxiousness or we can take it with, well, I mean, in the eyes of faith, lo, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's, that's, that's when we want those words to be words of comfort to us and not words of anxiousness. Acts 17, Paul gets into the very same theme here that uh, Brother David did, Acts 17. Listen to this. This is a description. He's, he talks to the uh, philosophers there in Athens. Acts 17 and 28. For in him we live. In him, and this idea that he encompasses us, like the words of David. In him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own philosophers have said. So Paul, like David, saw his omnipresence in the very aspect of his lordship. You are swimming in the presence of God. He's upholding you right now. Now, let's read more of this context. Start in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord. See how Paul is going to connect this. This is the context, context, I can't speak, the context in which he is speaking. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. 
You remember uh, that story in the Old Testament, I think it was the Syrians, and I apologize for not looking this up beforehand. Uh, so they go to war against uh, Samaria, and, uh, and uh, Samaria defeats them. And they says, oh, okay, we know why, they, why we got defeated, because he's God, of, we fought in the valley, and their God is the God of the valley. No, no, we fought in the mountains, and, and, uh, and their God is the God of the mountains, so of course our God lost. Uh, now let's, let's, let's get our army together again, and we'll go into the valley. And then what happened? He found out he was God of the valley too. He's Lord of space. All right, so seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, so they had all these gods there, at the, there on Mars Hill. And just in case they missed one, some aspect of some god, they had this temple, this altar to the unknown god. Uh, they don't know anything about him. They don't know the limits of his power. They're sure that he's limited. They just didn't want to miss that God. And what does Paul say? He's Lord of heaven and earth. There's no limit. He's God of the mountains and the valleys and the rivers. He's not just a river God. He's not just a mountain God. He's not just a sky God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And dwells not in temples made with hands. So he's talking about his immensity there. He dwells not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. That's his aseity. He, doesn't, he is, he is self-sufficient. Seeing that he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He is present giving, if you're breathing, God's present <laughs> with you. All right. So he gives to all life, breath, and being, and all things. Uh, and hath made of one blood all nations uh, of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply he might, might if haply, or by happenstance, might, they might feel after him and find him, though, what's the next words? Verse, what? He's not far from every one of you. We live with a God with His presence. And it's under the aspect of His Lordship. He's not far from each and every one of us. That's what we just read in Romans, right? Romans 10. He's nigh. So we're not just talking about Him being there. We're talking about Him being nigh. I like that word, nigh. He is nigh. He's, he's close. And that's what we mean by His omnipresence. We don't believe or speak about an absent God. Remember the, the, the cosmonaut back in the 50s or 60s? I can't remember when. I'm not a, uh, I don't remember which one, but he was a Russian cosmonaut, atheist. I went to space and I didn't find God. <laughs> what, a, what, what a fool, right? Uh, he's not here, he said. We don't, we don't talk about a God that is absent. It's foolish to talk about a God that is absent. Uh, he's there. He has, this, he has this undeniable presence. God's presence, what does that mean to us? Well, it means several things. Uh, he's present in every place. He's also, when we talk about God's presence, we need to start picking this apart. What do we mean by present? Of course he's present in every place. If you're breathing, if you're moving, it's because God is there. Uh, and that's so with everybody. That's even so with the atheist. The cosmonaut that went up and says he didn't see God failed to see that in God you live and move and have your being. If that God was not there, you could not 
But when we're talking about His presence, we're not only talking about the fact that He is in all places, but He, as Lord over space, has holy places in which He is especially present. Can you think of some holy places in the Scriptures? Take off your shoes. The place that you're standing is holy. (laughs) We had the Shekinah glory in the temple where they could only go behind that curtain once a year. Had to wear bells just in case the presence of God destroyed them and they can drag them out without going. The glory of God in the cloud, the glory of God in the pillar of fire. We have talking about sometimes His special presence. Because why is He entering into space? He's entering into the space to make Himself known. We live in a God that reveals Himself. Where? Here. Wherever two or three are gathered together, I am in the midst, like we talked about before. So we're not only, when we're talking about His presence, we need to be able to to differentiate. Yes, He's present everywhere, but right now, us meeting right here, He's here in a special way that He's not other places. And we have to differentiate this idea of God's presence. He was at Sinai. Was He in other mountains at that same time? He was in every other single mountain. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's caring for those cattle that are on a thousand hills. He's everywhere. He's on every mountain. But in that specific time, he was specifically manifesting his real presence in a specific place. So we have to differentiate. So yes, he's present everywhere, but he is also in the purposes of making himself manifest in space, making himself known, is in specific holy places. All right, so... uh, so unlike the Syrians, he's not in the valleys, he's only in the mountains. So <laughs> we can escape his power there, we can escape his presence there. Uh, we can think like that, uh, and we shouldn't. Uh, where, where is a holy place right now? You're the temple of the Lord, right? God's in you. He's in you in a way he's not in the atheists or the cosmonauts. He's in you in a special way, in a specific way. And He's working in you, energizing you, helping you in ways that He is not other places. And this is what the ancient Israel, I told you to put a pin in that thought, and I want to come back to it just for a second. The ancient Israelites just says, well, He has set us apart as His people. We have His presence. He can never deny us. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord is these, i.e. these people. And he says, I'm going to despise you. Remember Shiloh? His name was once there. And the prophet says, go to Shiloh. Do you see his manifest presence in Shiloh? So shall it be in Jerusalem. We see that in Ezekiel. 
if you follow Ezekiel, you have this manifest presence of God's throne. But it's got wheels. <laughs> it's a mobile throne. And we see Ezekiel, it departs from Jerusalem. It departs from the valley. And before it's all said and done, Ichabod. The glory is gone. We see that with churches. Repent, or I will take my candlestick. Right? Revelation 2. He can write Ichabod over any church, and I think he's written Ichabod over a lot of them and continuing to do so. We shouldn't take for safe. That's a special thing. The presence of the Lord, it's more special than anything. And that's what the psalmist would pray. He says, Lord, that I might know your presence. Or Philippians, oh God, that I might know you. And the fellow, even the fellowship of your suffering, that I might know it. What does this mean ethically? As we consider the fact that, yes, he's present everywhere, but yes, he has holy places. Not that he's not present other places, but the, that there are special places where he is making himself known. And this gets into the ethics of God's presence. God can take that away. Isaiah 59. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Can you be separated from that holy presence? Yes. Not from His general presence. The Lord is far from the wicked. How? We've got to differentiate this. What do we mean by His presence? What do we mean by far? In Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. God calls the wicked to draw near. Repent. Come. What are we talking about? We're talking about, again about his manifest presence. Calling them to repentance. Not that he's spatially separated from their being. In him they move and live and have their being. But they do not have the special holy presence. Manifest, made known. This is the ethics of all this. God has an ethical kingship. He's doing something, just like the Lord is doing something in time, the Lord is doing something in space. Calling a people unto himself. Isaiah 57. My goodness, the time has got away from me. We didn't really get a chance to talk about his incorporeality, but we'll talk about that next week. A God is spirit. All right. He's, uh, behold my hands. Uh, give me some fish. So the spirit doesn't have hands. The spirit doesn't eat. The spirit doesn't have a body. And we can get into that next week. But I just want us to focus right now on his presence as we, as we end this hour. 
Isaiah 57. You all probably know this one. It's quoted in different ways, um, in Psalms and other places, but Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. God dwells certain places. And if we want to have an ethics of his omnipresence, there is no, like I said a hundred times, there's no dry and dusty doctrines. When we talk about his omnipresence, we're not doing philosophical hair splitting. We're talking about something very real and something very important. We want God to dwell with us. Amen? <laughs> One of the saddest words of Scripture is Samson got up, shook himself, and did not even perceive that the Lord had departed from him. That's sad, ain't it? So we got to differentiate between the presence of God, what do we mean by the presence of God, and what that means to us. Because then we can enjoy the real morrow of the Scriptures. Whether we're talking about Psalms, Psalm 20, or Psalm 46, him being a very present help in time of trouble. Or when we read Paul, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something really important here. Any questions, complaints, grievances? <laughs> we'll stop there. And next week we'll start with the incorporality. And as uh, Brother Jimmy was saying, uh, we walk by faith. Why? Because we're limited and he's not. <laughs> we trust him. Why? Because he's limited. But what we need to dig into this, he's present. He's here. And that him being here is so important and in a reality to be sought always. Yes, brother. No, but but they're she was blaming God for because her husband and husband was in the hospital. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and, and that and that's a, the important thing there is is God hadn't left her, but for whatever reason 
she was no longer aware of his presence. There was her, uh, and you, you can differentiate that if you understand what you mean by him being present. We don't always mean the same thing uh, when we're talking about that. In him we live and move and have our being. Like I said, he was, he was in every mountain in the days of Moses, but he, only, he made himself known to Sinai. He was everywhere in the entire earth, filling the entire earth 2,000 years ago. But he was, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself on Calvary. God is everywhere today, but he's specifically and manifestly in his church. And he's in you as you go throughout the week. I hope that's a I hope that's an encouragement to you. Any other questions or complaints or grievances? <laughs> I always want to give you an opportunity to grieve if you <laughs> if you so choose. All right, we got about 10 minutes, well less than 10 minutes before the next hour.